Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast, coming to you from the headquarters of DTM Enterprises. Uh, let me get to TSSR. Let's talk about that for just a minute. TSSR, that's an acronym for 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. It's a program, it's a 12-step program for everyone and anyone. Uh, I like to say, come as you are. Uh, recovery for all. The 12 steps is uh, probably responsible for more lives being turned around in this past 80 years than any other single program or any other single method or vehicle. Uh, and the um, problem was is it was never made available to just plain old people. Uh, and that's what TSSR is attempting to do is to allow anybody, you don't have to be an addict, alcoholic, a gambler, sex addict, any of those, you can be them all too. Um, but you don't have to be. And uh, as I say in this podcast, week after week, uh, I can guarantee you that if you will work these 12 steps and practice these principles in your daily life, your life is going to get better. That's a guarantee. 12stepspiritualrecovery.com. You can find the meeting schedules, some of which are on Zoom, so you can join them from anywhere in the world. And 12 Step Spiritual Recovery, the book, can be purchased on Amazon. You'll want to look for 12 Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn. So tonight, uh, Actually, this is the second podcast for me today, and y'all won't know that, nor does it matter to you, but I just had one with a gentleman, and uh, I end up, as I was just telling my guests, that I end up a little high. I end up a little jacked up after doing podcasts, talking about this um, I don't, this whole thing of becoming a better human being is one of the things that, uh, that feeds me, uh, working with a new guy, sitting here doing podcasts, answering the telephone. Uh, coaching a guy through an amend, uh, all that kind of stuff, and more times than not, if I, you know, I go out and make a living, keep the lights on and gas in the car, but the majority of my life is spent doing something in twelve-step recovery, and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Tonight we got uh, LJ and Jennifer. You all have heard both of those, and I probably should have been sitting here telling you what episode it is that they can, you can hear their individual stories. I will put that in the show notes so that you can look them up. You can also look them up by name. LJ's been quite a while ago now. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer was not that long ago. Uh, it was last year. Was it? Uh, I get. I can't keep track. This something recovery's done to me is I can't keep track of time anymore. I, I have either. no idea what happened like last month or last week or, you know, sometimes like this weekend, Friday feels like a mile away from tonight. Sometimes I don't remember. It's like, oh, yeah, that was last night. Uh, <laughs> it feels like I just I've lost track of time. Time don't matter as much as it used to, you know, chasing right. stuff and doing all that dance we used to do, man. Uh, it wasn't so much about the time, actually, like what you see on your watch, but uh, I don't remember that movie Requiem for a Dream. Mm-mm. It's a tweaker movie. Yeah. If you want to watch something retro yeah. and uh, drug related, <laughs> it will remind you of uh, of times gone past, which it ain't a bad thing for me to be reminded once in a while. It's the reason why I work with new people more than anything else is so that I stay reminded of what it's like when you're when you're in those shoes. That shoes I don't ever want to put on again. But the time, like it's going like the second hand, they're waiting for the dealer to call kind of thing, you know, and the second hand goes tick. Tick. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> tick. And then they this the the enjoyment of the approaching score and then like right after that it goes 100 mile an hour right. <laughs> <laughs> until exactly they crash and like. burn and then it's back to tick yeah 
Tick. I don't um, miss those days. Yeah, it's a good movie though. It's a, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't know. I, I would almost classify it as a classic. And I'm not a movie guy. You know, there's not too many movies I can say, "Hey, do you remember this?" I don't. Uh, I can't think of many. So we're going to talk about tonight uh, navigating relationships and recovery and whatever else comes up as we talk. So uh, I know that. I'll tell one one of you tell a little bit about how how it was when you all met because I know it was real bouncy when you met right were you still using absolutely we met in the madness yeah yeah absolutely very uh, very heavily yeah thought that was the case yeah so um, I had a friend and I was kind of homeless at the time I was living in my car um, and staying with her every once in a while I like it kind of homeless kind of homeless like i was like like, i was kind of pregnant (laughs) i was kind of homeless i was either living in my car at her apartment and um it was kind of a trap house it was um so i guess i don't know somehow lj had met her met her and uh you can tell that i think i met her through nick through nick i think so yeah. So Nick was her boyfriend, who was one of my very good friends, um, who was actually just shot and killed um, the beginning of the summer. No shit. Yeah. Like, not even two miles from our house. Whoa. Uh, well, that's where we go. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, like, one of the last conversations I had with him was he was telling me how he was homeless and beaten and broken down. I was like, you've got to either get into recovery or you're going to die in the streets just like the rest of them and that's what happened it was it was pretty it was a pretty uh hard blow for me to take because like i said he was one of my really good friends he um definitely looked out for me in the biggest way so um the night lj and i met lj was over at megan's and um him and nick had, mm-hmm. had went out to the car and nick called me down to come sit in the car and talk to him and from there we went to the boat. To the boat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to the gambling another boat, yep. to the casino. Sat there for three days and spent a whole hell of a lot of money and did a hell of a lot of drugs. At the casino. At the casino. Y'all got a room and everything yeah. in the state. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's pretty much every time we went to the casino. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, from that point forward, we ended up getting a room because we knew we were going to be there for some days. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you obviously would go prepared then. Uh, yeah. Uh, absolutely yeah <clears throat> it doesn't even i like a I, it's something that's just not a part of my story at all man i've maybe been to that gamma boat maybe twice and both of them was because of work things that made you almost have to go yeah uh, it's never been a draw to me matter of fact it gets me antsy to even think about gambling i can't do it it does me too now yeah. um so when i got out of prison right before we met uh actually i guess before i went to prison um I had a little bit of money that was left in the trust fund. So that kind of supported, well, that definitely supported uh, the heavy use and uh, all the gambling, which was a lot of both. One thing I had it can do is burn through money. Oh, yeah. we. I think we went through so, go ahead. over a quarter of a million. Golly. And that's, here's the thing, like, we, we started dating in december of 2017 i got sober in june so that money was blown through from 
December to probably around September, October. Wow. Yeah. So we went so, through a heavy uh, amount of money. When y'all met, how far before, how, like I said, anchor point that we all use is the sobriety date. So uh, y'all met, what, within a year before you got sober? We met in December of 2017. Mm-hmm. I got sober in June of 2018. And then he got sober, sober in, in September. September. So, yeah. Yep. It, but as soon as we met, we were uh, immediately, like I said, I was already homeless, so... And like while we were together, my you know I was kind of in and out of my mom's, but um, when we had like very first met, um, my mom called me and was like, "You can't come back here." Um, so from that point on, we were together. Yeah, I think we filled up my trunk the night we met, or maybe when maybe we got back from the boat like, yeah. or something. But yeah, it was within filled up that the few trunk days with her stuff, with her stuff from her mom's, and went straight back to my mom's house because oh, it wasn't yeah. my house yet. Wait, I had a car um, then still i still had a car <laughs> oh yeah yeah. Well, yeah we filled we filled up a trunk and came to my mom's <laughs> yep. house yeah um, so yeah and then it just never stopped man it never stopped for a year nope uh, but all in all that's a pretty quick turnaround for a lot of folks you know and the interesting you know that that intersection of you two meeting uh, it's one of the things, you know, it's, at least in my experience, is first off, it's rare that two people in a couple both get, if they're both using to see them both get sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't see that. I might be skewed. I might not be, you know, my eyes are not everywhere, but that seems to be the case. And if one, you know, and then the other thing is if one is, you, you know, if one of them is using and the other one is what we will call, you know, not an addict, not an alcoholic, whatever. I was going to say if they didn't use, but even if they're not like critical, even one of them getting sober will break the relationship up. You know, it's funny that uh, one person left when my, my eyes most times see where there's a guy and a girl together and the guy's the problem and he gets sober. I've seen a ton of times where that ended up not working out too. Yeah, I've seen that quite a bit too. So, like I said, we met in December. It was towards the end of December. It was right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, sometime in early January, mid-January, um, we were coming back from the boat. We had taken all the kids there and let them stay in the hotel while we um, went down and gambled or while we were getting high or whatever we were doing. Um, what was I, your drug as a choice for the most part? Meth. Yeah, IV meth. Yeah. Um, that particular weekend, um, I had taken... 10 Xanax bars and done I don't even know how much meth on top of it and uh, of course there was no sleep in there and uh, on the way home I had the, my kids in the car with me he mm-hmm. had he had his kids in his car with him I was taking my kids back to my mom's and I was on the way back and I kept falling asleep and I was like I kept calling him he was like you need to pull over you need to pull over and I kept thinking well, I'm fine I'll just make it I'll just make it this little bit further I'm fine I'll just make it a little bit further but I made it from Indiana to Fern Valley Road um, and I passed out I guess at a red light and hit the car in front of me and when I came to I looked over and Michaela my daughter her face was just gushing blood where the airbag had deployed mm. uh, my car was completely totaled the guy took off. I have no idea where he went. He just left, which was okay by me. I didn't have insurance or anything else like that. But um, the police did come. So they had me do a breathalyzer. Of course, I passed that, but the, I fa- failed the field sobriety test. He was there. He came there. 
Uh, my kids had to go to the hospital just to get checked out. They were fine. Was, she just had a bloody nose. Um, Travis was in the back seat. He was fine. Uh, but while my kids were in the ambulance, they put me in handcuffs and took me to jail. I got two counts of wanton endangerment in the first degree and a DUI, but I never let them take my blood. Uh, but they, I remember them having me in this room with this just one police officer and they was trying to get me to give him my blood and I was like I need to talk to my lawyer and I just kept falling asleep in there and I was like I'm just not going to do it so I never gave him my blood (laughs) I was like "Mm, I'm not going to do it because I knew it was going to come back I just told him that I had because I had a prescription for clodipin and I told him that I had just taken too much of my medication then I knew what they was going to find if they tested my blood I'm surprised that you were able to pull that off you know I know they can't make you uh, necessarily but they well that's how I ended up with the, the the DUI because I wouldn't give it to him. Yeah, because like I, I think most places, like in the drinking, and of course you know I don't really know, but I know if you refuse a, if you refuse the test, that's admitting guilty mm-hmm. in most yeah, states. Pretty right. much. Right. So I get into jail and I they I had a tank top on, I had a hoodie on, and they made me pull, <laughs> take my hoodie off, and I didn't remember that I had a loaded needle in my in my bra, and oh my god, I got the shit beat out of me that night. By the CEOs in jail. Oh yeah, yeah. Like because they thought I was trying you? to. Yeah, they beat the shit out of me. Like they tried. They thought I was trying to bring contraband into the jail. I just forgotten about it. Huh. So, um, and then, so he ended up having to get in contact with my lawyer. Um. Eventually, he got me out. I don't know. It was it was a big ordeal. Like there was a. I was supposed to have been released, and they, I don't know what was going on, but I had to have my lawyer come back in and handle the situation, but he was still getting all fucked up over at the uh, boat. He was at the boat, mm-hmm. won $10,000 while I was there. I don't even know. Like, yeah. But I was calling him. He probably spent four or $500 for the couple of days I was in jail. Just on the phone. Yeah. Mm, just on the phone. It was every five minutes, the phone was ringing. Get so me out, get me out. I, <laughs> I hated it there. So did you have access? No, no, it's goofy details. But you had access to a phone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard some people dorm. talk about that, having an actual phone in the cell or whatever yeah, that you can use. Yeah, I was in a pretty I've never dorm. been in one of those. There ever was. The, yeah. the times that I've been locked up, you was put in a damn cage, man, and, and you may not see anybody for hours. You know, you're like, are they ever going to come and get me out of this thing? Or, you know, that I've always said that deal about being able to have a phone call, you know, they got to give you a phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't give me phone calls. Yeah, that's bullshit. I didn't get an opportunity to use the phone. Yeah. They had me in some kind of detox dorm because I told them that I was on and so they were trying to, like, make sure that I didn't fucking... Medical or something. Yeah, make yeah. sure you don't yeah. die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know that, uh, that contraband is grounds for a beating. Well, she, uh, she, she, I mean, you to come after him I mean, with like, a needle didn't, like, or something. She didn't like beat like beat me with a club or anything. She slammed. I mean, like I had a big old knot on my forehead from where she slammed me into the wall. And yeah, like I was like, oh, chill. <laughs> I did not try to break this in here. Just calm down. Yeah, I, I actually got arrested tonight just so I could bring this <laughs> right. in. Right, right. <laughs> no, thank you. I'll never. Thank God I don't have to deal with that shit anymore. Yeah, and the fact that you didn't know it was there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's another odd thing. You know, that's a. 
I don't remember losing drugs. I hear people talk about it, but I felt like I always knew where mine was at. You're going to hear about that today. Yeah. <laughs> You'll hear about that today. Yeah. <clears throat> so we, we, we lost ran a whole for lot. Quite a bit after that. We ran for a little, you know. Um, By run. Doing, getting still getting high, high and yeah. shit. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if maybe you meant you skipped bail and ran. No, no. There was a, I think we had a $5,000 mm-hmm. bond on me. So. Yeah. That was what it was. They tried to say that I had to pay a, what was it? I don't, I, know. I don't even remember what it was, but it was way higher than that. And they were trying to make make him pay all of it, and I was like, "What is happening? <laughs> Please let me out of jail." Yep. But I mean, the charges were pretty serious. Want endangerment in the first degree or felonies? And that's one thing I, I was able to do through as the entire time I got arrested. I didn't get arrested for the first time until I was like. 32 I think but I got arrested quite a few times but I never got a felony charge so mm. I was really 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 lucky in that like that's what I taught the lawyers I was like I don't care what you have to do just make sure I don't catch a felony because I knew it was you know thank thank God God gave me that sense of clarity to know that I didn't need a felony on my record because mm-hmm. at some point in time I was going to be sober and needed a good <laughs> needed some kind of pathway into a good career you had said call my lawyer I can only think of uh, two times in my life where I can actually say I, my lawyer I never had a lawyer unless I needed one mm-hmm. uh, when I got when I got divorced I had a lawyer and then I was still in contact with that lawyer when I got in trouble and then I, I actually called her and told her what was going on and she hooked me up with a criminal defense lawyer in the same firm uh, yeah. So I was a good customer for that law firm down there in New Albany. I always had my two parents, different cases going. I always had my parents' lawyer, man. My dad knew lawyers and judges and stuff like that, and he always, every time I got in trouble from sixteen to the time he passed, I, he always called her, and she was there to bail me out. She was even there. She's the one that got the got you custody of the yep. kids. Yeah. So yep. even after he passed. Yep. Well, I mean, as far as criminal wise, oh, yeah. he would always talk her into. And it would always be pro bono. It would always be free. Like, we would never have to pay really? or anything. Damn. Um, so I always just got a smack on the wrist growing hmm. up, you know? And, no consequences. Right, no consequences. And it's funny that you said 32, because that's when I caught my first felony. It was 32. Oh. It was right after Dad passed, yeah. 32-ish, somewhere around there. But, yeah. It's when uh, the lawyer wasn't there anymore. She wouldn't answer my phone calls, and it was all all over with. I remember the day I got arrested whenever I had, you know, those um, containers that you put used needles in. Yep. I had one of those full of needles in the trunk of my car. I don't know why they didn't search my car. There was like pounds of weed in there. There was so much shit. Mm-hmm. No, it was in his car. It was in my was, car. Yeah. But you, the, do, the one of the officers was like, I smell weed. And I was like, I don't have any I, weed in my I car. I parked clear across the parking yeah. lot. So I knew it was, I had a pound of pot in the car with the kids in the car coming yeah. back from the boat you know and I, I knew if I parked too close to the cops they were going to smell it so I parked on the other parking lot and they're like I smell pot and I'm like oh shit yeah. <laughs> they smell my car it's not in her car so but yeah, yeah. and so he pulled up with his kids day. and they had to watch me go to jail that sucked they were they weren't happy so they took that. yours to the hospital yeah and yeah. all of them just I two, mean it was two or two yeah just mm-hmm. two kids her two and uh, they put an ambulance and take them. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then where'd you go? Where'd I go? I went back. To, I went to the hospital to meet the kids there, and 
make sure they were okay. Uh, I think they went with your mom after that. And then me and my kids went back to the house, and uh, I'm pretty sure I was at the boat that night. Oh, hey. Yeah. Yeah. It was... Uh, yeah. So you stayed sober? No. Not after that. <laughs> no, that was in January. That was in, we got no. out, and I got out, and we were back on it. Yep. We had a... Uh, so after that, the kids... Um, I, some, I had a, I had the kids with me, and I went. I was at, we were at the mall one day, and um, a CPS worker called. They were at my mom's, and she was like, "You need to get the kids here now." Yeah, so my that. mom and I had shared, were sharing custody at that point. We still have joint custody of my son. He's seventeen, but um, for this very reason, just in case I ever gotten, because at one point in time I was I got sober a little bit, and then just en- enough to get my kids back because I'd lost them for six months. Um, uh, they were with my mom, but um. Oh, so we so when we, when it went to court, it was just made that my mom and I had joint custody of my kids, so they weren't taken by CPS. But they called and they were like, "You need to get the kids back here now. You have an hour, or we're putting a warrant out for your arrest, like because of the wanton endangerment charges." Mm. Um. So I remember one night after they were finally able to come back over. Um, him and Brianne had went to the bookstore mm. to find a book that she wanted. And I was in the bathroom doing a shot, and I got a hold of some bad dope. And I remember looking in the mirror, and my face just completely drained of all colors. My lips turned blue. I was like, I, could, I was still, I could still think clearly, but my body was shutting down. And I was like, what in the hell is going on? So I called him. I was like, you need to get here now. I'm dying. I'm, I'm if you don't get here now, I'm calling an ambulance. And I was still clear-headed enough to know that I needed to get in the shower and turn it on in cold water. Mm-hmm. And I was just standing in the shower when he got there. Yep. The kids were in the their bedroom door freaking out, didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. Um, I went in the bathroom, and she's standing there, like she said, in cold water, fully clothed, just standing in cold water. She said, I'm calling an ambulance. Hold on. <clears throat> don't do that. We don't want the kids to know. Get us in we trouble. don't want the kids to know that we're getting high. Uh, yeah. We thought we were still hiding it really well at that time, I think. Um so yeah, that's that was a rough night. That yeah. was a that was a scary. I know day. we tend to laugh about it, but you know, like that uh, the trauma that we put our kids yes. through, you know, and we constantly would try to minimize that, you know, yeah. to think that we, you know, it ain't a big deal, didn't you know? But uh, yeah, no, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. And I and now that I look back on it, you know, that's probably still one of my biggest like regrets in this in my entire is the way the things that I put my kids through. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, my son, he doesn't really, I, I don't know if I, he just didn't pay attention enough or he just, he just doesn't really remember. Now, Michaela, she, she doesn't talk about it, but. Well, you yeah. know, even like when the don't remember kind of thing goes on, you know, you just wonder, uh, like oh. what imprint was still there, you know, and mm-hmm. I could, what do they, suppress it, you know. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I've got level, a lot you know, of memories that to, I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, the impact is there, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make any difference that you don't remember it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The, the the boot print is still on the on the spirit. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's definitely one of the biggest regrets that I have. I remember one night. Um, <clears throat> I don't know where we were. We were at the his house, but um, I guess I had dropped a needle in the bed, and Brian found it. Mm. And she was. I remember her saying something about it, and I was like, Oh my god. And she, I don't even know what we said to her, but she just, she didn't, she said something about it and then she never said nothing else about it. Hmm. I'm like, yeah. 
Yep. Uh, I, you know, I doubt my kids had any idea about actual drugs, but they knew I drank, and that's what was visible to them. You know, mm-hmm. and I remember lots of times when I was struggling, and it was all that back and forth, and during the divorce and all that. Uh, when we were doing the split custody thing and I particularly Carissa I could remember her come in and she would do this eye scan to see like what was you know mm-hmm. looking to see what's around me in my you know look at the end table look at the side of the bed you know whatever wherever I'm at she's doing a little scan to see if I had just a beer by me or right. a drink right to be it's a long time for that quit that little scan would happen every time I saw her yeah. and there for a while they just didn't stay here anymore as I say, they were scared to stay here, and they were right. Right, right. right. Yep. It's like my kids, man. They didn't, like, once we got sober, they would ask us about certain times. Like, do you remember this at my birthday party, or, or do you remember going to the, the movies with where you high then? And it's like, yeah, I was, and they're like, I had no idea. If I was awake, you know? I was high. And that's what I yeah. told them. They're like, I had no idea, because that, that became so normal. That it My does. behavior was so normal to them. They thought that was just who I was. Yeah. You know, and, and they would see me like you said with with a with a beer or with mixed drink, but other than that, they had no clue that I was getting high. I mean, Jasmine found a bag of dope on the floor one day in the kitchen, and she's like, "Is this meth? No, that's not meth. That's silica or whatever the the stuff mm-hmm. in the. It was in a little baggie, you know. And I wadded it up in a paper towel and put it in the top of the trash can. As soon as she went in the other room, I pulled it back yeah. out of the trash can. Um, but even that, like, they didn't. I don't know if it was it was disbelief or they didn't want to believe it or they just really didn't know you know but well you're not born knowing what meth is yeah right. uh, <laughs> yeah no 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 i mean yeah, yeah. yeah. so somewhere or another they were they were tipped off and i suppose you get a little bit of that from peers and stuff and people you know and probably watching neat tvs and movies too well she was uh, 16 17 when that happened. i don't remember that yeah it was at the old it was right before uh it was right before i got sober i don't i cannot i can't recall it yeah, mine were eight and ten when I got sober, so See. they didn't have teen years yet, which I think is more impactful. So I when we that, got together, ours were twelve, thirteen, thirteen. Brian was seventeen, getting ready to be eighteen, and Jasmine was fifteen, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean that like awareness of around them when they're mm-hmm. preteen, the changes yeah. when they get yeah. to be teenagers, and they, so. you know. And they've got friends doing things, and yeah. so they're they're more apt to know what's going on. But when we first got together, and rightfully so, his girls, only one that really, well, Brian and Jasmine kind of took to me. Taylor, she absolutely despised me. She didn't want nothing at all to do with me. She wouldn't hardly speak to me. Um, the further into the relationship... Well, they saw a lot of broken relationships between me, them being at my house and, mm-hmm. and you getting there. You know yeah. what I mean? They saw a lot of, they, they were, you know, right next to me with a, through a lot of fights and arguments and screaming and cussing and hollering and punching walls and throwing phones and, you know, the whole addict behavior. Yeah. Um, and they saw that with all these different, different females coming in and out of the house for a couple months here and a couple. So they, they were not ready to, uh to give in to having another female around yeah. at all yeah. the only thing they do is they bring trouble yeah right right <laughs> right that's what they saw yeah mm-hmm. that's what yeah. it seems like yeah. yeah that's what they saw and, and the erratic behavior you know that's the other thing that i really 
you know, at some level pride myself on today is that then my kids will get the same person every time they run into him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that crap of what, you know, is a roll of a dice for a kid about what's, what's, you know, when I come home today, what am I walking into? Or when I wake up in the morning, what am I, you know, any moment, the next interaction, it's a gamble on whether if you got somebody sane or not. Yep. Definitely. Definitely so. I think that has a huge, you know, developmental deal with them, you know, that they they grow up thinking that's normal. Yeah. yeah Thank that, God that the, what my son and my daughter see me go through, they didn't take on as, you know, like I was in a very, very abusive relationship where he was like physically beating me in front of my kids. And I just, I look at my kids today in their relationships and I'm like, Mm-hmm. That is, they're totally opposite of what, uh, you know, what I showed them was supposed to be a relation. Now they see what LJ and I are today. Yeah, because and, same thing. The the healing that we do has a huge impact mm-hmm. on them too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boot print is one thing, and you know that. Well, I think what you know, if she sees, if they see that as as well, this is what a relationship is, mm-hmm. uh, it normalizes it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's anything but normal. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we've been through some of the rough relationships with with Jasmine. You know, mm-hmm. she's gone through some some pretty uh, toxic relationships, and now she finally met a guy who's who's treats her right. He treats her decent. You know, and I, it's like, okay, dude, you're you're okay. Yeah. Um, he seems like a really good kid. Yeah, He's but had that, a good upbringing. Um, yeah, and that goes along with what you were just saying again. You know, like that's what they see now. You know, at first it was it was chaos. The first couple of years of my recovery was still chaos um, between setting boundaries, between her and I trying to figure each other out, figuring ourselves out. It was just all still chaotic. Um, still a little bit of bickering. Uh, just a lot of the old behaviors, you know, and I think that goes along with that's what it was for so damn long. It was still normal to act like that. It's mm. still normal to fight and argue, and it's still normal not to have boundaries and all this crazy shit that we did was still normal and the kids saw that yeah when we so i got sober in june and you know i had a lawyer and um he was telling me you've got to do something for these courts or they're going to put you in county for 18 months and i was like i i really don't that doesn't sound like i want to do that um so uh, i did everything but try to do a work at 12 step program i tried to get a, a drug and alcohol therapist and um I was seeing her for a while. I'll go every once in a while. And then um, I remember one day I was in her office and she was like, are you high right now? And I was like, yep. Yeah. And she was like, okay, well, we can't continue these sessions. You, I need, you have to go to ILP or I can't see you anymore. And something about her, she just, there's, she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And then that's what I did. I went to ILP and, um, I told LJ before I went, I was like, you can either do this with me or you can do it. I can do it without you. And if I do it without you, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. So he faked being sober. I did what any good alcoholic would do. I <laughs> sat in the bathroom and got high for another three months. Yeah. So yeah. I had a big period where I said I pretended to be yeah. sober. I stayed I in the garage. like anybody really believed me, but I thought they did. Right. I yeah. stayed in the garage till I knew she was good and asleep. And I went up there with my heart pounding out of my chest, tried to lay next to her and pretend that she didn't know or something. And I knew. I just didn't want to... I didn't want to, 
I, I was on, first of all, I was on, instead of going to jail, I was on house arrest for six months. Um, so I was on house arrest trying to navigate that. We were there, like I said, the kids at this point, we, I've been getting sober. So I'm like, I'm absolutely batshit crazy at the same time because I'm, I don't have anything to self-medicate and I'm trying to figure out all these emotions and come down off of meth that I've been shooting in my arm for God, however long straight, you know, and we weren't just doing it every once in a while. It was all day, every day. So that was a really hard road for me to navigate. And I went absolutely crazy and it was really rough. It was really, really rough. And it was scary. Yeah, it was was terrifying. And I remember in the first few weeks of sobriety, LJ wouldn't leave my side because he was scared to death that I was going to kill myself because that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to die because I couldn't figure it out. I was just so beat down and broken and having to feel all all these things of going through this court, doing this shit to my kids, having to get sober. Like it was all these things hitting me at once. And I was just like, I don't I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Um. So at one point, I got into it with his kids about something, and I left. I moved. I called HIP, and I was like, I'm moving. And I went home to my mom's. And that was, um, I guess, in around August. Because in September is when he got uh, locked up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep, I went back to, had a, a, a parole date. And I was supposed to go see my parole officer and did what I did every single time because he never did drop me. He never pissed me. He never questioned anything I was doing. So I'd do a shot in the parking lot before I walked into the parole officer. And I went in there this time and there was a little short parole officer. had his little thumbs in his vest. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. And first thing he said is, come on back here and pee in this cup. Um, I played the, the card of I can't pee for like four and a half hours. Um, felt like I was going to explode. <laughs> it was horrible. Had to pee so bad. It was ridiculous. Um, so they were like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll get you together. Come on back here and, and sit down. We're going to call somebody and we're going to take care of this. All right, cool. You're taking me to the hospital. Sweet. I, I made it out again. And they all surrounded me and uh, put me in handcuffs and took me to jail. Um, thank God that they did, though. But, yeah, that was, uh, that was a rough ride. And so the same kind of thing where you got the assumed guilty from a failure to do the test yeah yeah for sure and as soon as they isn't insane that you think there's going to be like some other way out you know yeah right as soon as they picked as soon as i don't worry about lj forget it this time just come back in a couple weeks well man that's what it was every other time that's how it was for six months eight months um it was okay are you clean yeah you got a job yep all right see you next month and i'd walk right out you know he was paying all his all um, fees. Yeah. You pay your fees, it gets you out of trouble, too. Yeah, everything was, was up to date. Uh, and this this one particular time, this last time, man, I went in there and they changed my parole officer. So it was a different guy, and he was yep. not ready to hear my bullshit. Um, like I said, when they stood me up to put handcuffs on me, I said, man, I can pee now. <laughs> <laughs> I can pee now. Um, I don't know too why. Too late. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that was going to make it better. Um, like I'm being arrested for not peeing. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they took me straight to jail and, um, this, this time I did everything completely different from that point moving forward, man. Um, instead of playing on the poker tables, I was only in jail in Metro for 14 days. 
So instead of, of playing on the poker tables and, and fucking with everybody else watching TV and whatever else they were doing, I just laid in my rack. I laid in my rack and I stayed in my head and just was silent. Like I was just to myself this time. Um, from there I went to the VOA and as soon as we pulled up out front, man, I still had some money in the bank. As soon as we pulled up out front, I told the parole officer, man, just take me back to prison. I'm not ready for this. I don't want to get sober. I don't want to go here. Take me to prison. I'll do my little 12 years or whatever and be done. Um, and he said he can't do it. It's already paid for and I'm just here. So it was a six month inpatient. Uh, and as soon as I got there, man, they, they greeted me with open arms. Again, something else, something I've never had before. Uh, the people there didn't have badges and guns and uh, they were alcoholics just like me. And you've been I, there before, not to the VOA. Okay. I have not. Um, this is the one place or one of the places that I had never been. Um, I've been to the little halfway houses around Louisville and Owensboro and wherever, but uh, they were they were different. Something di- something was different about about the VOA man. Um, like I said when I got there, the director came down and gave me a hug, and it was like, man, I'm glad you're here, you mm. know. And it's like, what the fuck are you? Who are you? Uh, I'm not glad I'm here. Um, so I went up there and, and I sat again. I just stayed to myself for a couple weeks, man, and got a feel for things um, and decided to continue doing everything different. And for whatever whatever reason, shit clicked and it worked. Hmm. It worked. It was, I still wasn't ready. I still wasn't ready to get sober, though. Uh, even Colin, you know, she was still on HIP at the house. At, my mom's um i think mom had moved out by then yeah she had moved out before all this had happened yeah um so i remember the night he went to jail the girls called me and uh was like dad's in jail can we come over because they were they were at the house they were at the house with some bitch that he had over there and she was lying to him telling him that he was still at his parole officers or something and they got suspicious and finally they found out i guess his mom told him his mom went over there and kicked her out and the girls didn't want to go back to her house because they just wanted to come they so they called me and they came over to my house and um i remember i I was on the phone with him and he was like because we hadn't been talking like i said i had moved out and i was just on a no contact with him i didn't want to talk to him i didn't want to hear his shit i know he was still getting high um and uh I was like, he was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I've lost everything. Like, he was just hopeless. Hopeless. He was like, I've lost everything. I've lost you. I've lost the kids. I've lost the house. I've lost everything that I had going for me. And I was like, well, you didn't lose me. We can work mm-hmm. through this. Um, and I've got the girls. I remember you saying that, too. Yeah. You know, a lot of that's foggy, but I remember you saying I remember you saying that. And that gave me a little bit of hope. That gave me the little bit of hope that I needed to not mess with the assholes in the recovery center you know it gave me the little bit of hope just to say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try something different i remember i have to found out he was going to um, a recovery center he was like call my parole officer and ask him if you can pay for me to go so where wherever wherever he wanted to go he wanted to go like to some fancy recovery center or whatever and i was i was ready I to called to jasmine county yeah and they was like nope he's got to go yeah. where the state takes him yeah. i was like all right so, I always say when people 
have a re- they have a place they want to go. That's not the right place to go. Mm-hmm. No, I yeah. wanted to go there for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, mm-hmm. but even even you know even if somebody like wants to go to the brook and I'm pointing them that way, you know, just the mere fact that they want to go there probably is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to do things you don't want to do mm-hmm. to yeah. get sober. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, I knew I could manipulate my way through that, man. It was a class D. Um, they worked you outside of the facility. Uh, I when I was there before, I had things dropped off you know so it i knew what i i knew i could continue doing what i wanted to do there uh, and i had no clue about this place mm-hmm. had no clue man after he'd been in there a couple of days he called me and he he was like september 22nd and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> he was like that's my that's the last day i used and he was scared to death to tell me because he still hadn't told me for mm-hmm. sure that he had been using yep. the entire time i'd been sober um so eventually I got another court date to go back to court and have, be able to move back to the house because Brianne was 18 at that time and she had moved in with us. So she was all alone. His mom had her condo and she was talking about coming back over there and trying to live between two of the ho- two of the houses, you know, her condo and the house. Mm-hmm. So I moved back over there and was with Brianne and the girls would come over on the weekends and oh my god it was so bad it was so bad they hated me so much and they thought they were going to run all over me because he wasn't there and that was their house and they could do what they wanted they could have whoever they wanted and they over they could do whatever they wanted and it was so hard for him because i was bitching at him his mom was bitching at him about me i was bitching at him about his mom and kids kids. were crying to me and yeah i just wanted to leave and at that point in time, me and his mom did not get along whatsoever. We despised each other. Um, she All she knew me as was a drug addict mm-hmm, that had been mm-hmm. living in her house. You know, and then her son, the, she, I don't think she really believed that I got sober when I got sober. No, that's typical, you know, because yeah. we normally don't. Mm-hmm. Right. We, right. Uh, yeah. Plus mom and the kids both, or all of them had heard that shit from me so many times. Mm-hmm. She's here to help me. Yeah. <laughs> She's going to help me get sober. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and one lies. of the kid, one of the things the kids had told him before was, "If you ever go back to jail, I'm done with you." Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so that's what he was expecting. Yep. But I had was, a letter from Taylor. I think it was from Taylor when I was in Jessamine County Jail uh, some years prior to this, and she wrote the exact thing. Like, I still got the letter at home. You know, if you ever, I'm I'm so sick of this. If you ever go back. You know, when you get out of this place, don't go back because if you go back to, to jail or somewhere like this, we're done. We can't do this anymore. You know, and, and that letter broke my heart, but it wasn't enough to stop me. No, yeah. it was not enough to. That's this is 2013. Typical codependent letter. Yeah, yeah. right. It just Empty wasn't threats. enough, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, she. Uh, but you know, a kid's not really in a position to totally hold that boundary, right? right. Without really doing some weird stuff. Yeah. Well, their mother is also an addict, and um, she hasn't really been involved in their lives much. And she just got out of prison the other day, and she called two of the girls, Jasmine and Taylor. Neither one of them really want anything to do with her because she hasn't proven herself. But Taylor texted me the other day, and this is how much our relationship has changed. Um, And she was like, is it stupid that I want to go over and talk to my mom? And I was like... She was like, I just want to know why um, drugs and alcohol were more important than her kids. And I was like, you're never going to get the answer you're looking for. And she was like, 
I can't even remember the exact how the whole conversation went and I was like if you go I was like if you can go over there and talk to her about it but don't have any expectations on how the conversation's going to go she's not going to be able to tell you the reason why until you until you're an addict or you've been in this exact place you'll never understand and uh she said uh she said something I was like you're just you're just going to get hurt and she was like I know I always do and I was like I'm sorry I was like I wish there was something that I could do to take away that that pain for you you know because of course it's her mother she wants she wants to be she wants her mother involved in her mm-hmm. life but just that's looking for I those mean, that, you yeah. know that's still that still dealing with the trauma of mm-hmm. a, a addict alcoholics whatever parent yep yeah it's sad yeah it sucks. and it sucks you know particularly for taylor because hell when me and when when the kids got taken away in 2005 taylor was just born she was still under a year old mm. and her mother was out of the picture then uh, the kids were with me at the time uh, so her mom was out of the picture then and she's been out of the picture since you know she'll pop in for a week or two every few years and go back to whatever she was doing you know and and taylor I guess when she was nine or ten, uh, we showed her pictures of her, and she had no idea who her mom was. Wow! You know, and that that broke my heart. Uh, it sucks, but she deserves to know things. But like you said, she'll never. I don't think she'll ever get the answer she's she's looking for, unless unless she gets sober. Yeah, yeah. And there's still no answer. Right. Yeah. There's still no answer. There's right. really not. And, not and that's that what question. I told her. I said, "Your mother. I said she has a disease." And see, the the thing is, we've both gotten gotten sober. So to them, it's it's not. Yeah, that's a little. Well, how come she can't? Yeah, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Yeah, y'all did. Why don't she? Yeah. You know, and it's just it it sucks, man, because I can't as much as I love them and they know that they can trust me. I can never replace their mom. And that's never anything that I've ever tried to do. I've tried my best to be there for them in ways that I'm, you know, capable of being there, but I've never tried to replace their mother. Um, and that's, and, you know, I'm just, I just want to love them the way that they deserve to be loved. And I hate that they go through the things that they go through with, you know, it's, it sucks. And, and seeing it been through all that they have been yeah, through. And yeah. seeing it from, from where I am today, thinking back like, damn, I did the same shit to my kids. You know, it sucks. It sucks. And, you know, one thing I pray for quite often is that she gets sober for them. And I'm not even sure if it would make a difference for Brianne, especially if she did. They're just done. They're tired of the the bullshit. They've told her what they told me sitting down at the VOA uh, on one of my visits. They all were bawling. I mean, snot coming out of their face. I mean, they were they were hurt. And they looked at me in my eyes and they said, Dad, we are not doing this again. And they meant that shit. You know, they had already hit. 17, 16, 17, 18 years old, and they they meant it, you know, and I, I believed at that time, you know, like, okay. I mean, we all sit there and cried, but I believed at that time, man, because I could feel their pain. I saw the pain on, on their faces, and I knew they meant business. I knew they were serious, and this was probably three months into, into the VOA, three or four months, but, and I still, at that time, I still wasn't even sure, right? Like, I was doing the right things, but I was not sure that this was going to work for me. I just wasn't sure. I didn't even know if I wanted it at that time. I just knew that 
I didn't want to see that pain anymore that I caused them. That hurt me a lot, but it worked. I got to keep saying it, man. It worked. I just, I gave in, completely surrendered. You know, I kept hearing throughout the VOA, like I said, the guys there that ran the place were people just like me. You know, they were eating out of dumpsters at one point in time, going in and out of prison and, and doing the exact same things that I did. And I, I, I heard things. I heard what they said. You know, change everything. You got to want this. You pray. All these things that I didn't know anything about. And I, I just said the hell with it and tried it. Uh, said a prayer in my room on October 12th. Um, on October 12th, I, I sat in my in my room and folded my hands and sat on my knees just like a, a five-year-old child and cried at my bed to, to a higher power. Whoever that was didn't know. But I cried out to him that I can't do this shit anymore. Just whatever it is I'm going through, just take it because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, next day I woke up and everything was different. I felt different. You know, it was the first time that I can, that's, I claim that as my first spiritual experience. Um, I actually felt God in my life. I felt a higher power. Uh, it took all that pain and all that agony from me, man. And the desire and, and everything, like it was all gone from that day forward, man. Uh, and that's, that's when I, I, I think that's around the time that I called you and was like, this is, this is my real sobriety day, man. Like I've, I've got to do something different. Yeah. And this is it. Be honest was the first different thing that I had to do because that was not something that I was. I lied about every damn thing. Uh, I started being honest and shit started working out, man. Everything started working out. December 12th rolled around of 2018 or December 4th. And one of the guys who ran the VOA uh, came up to me he's like man you got court date said, what the fuck here we go is finally start getting some good things happening and here comes my past to bite me in the ass again and it was a family court and that's the day that we went to court and, and got full custody of the kids back and you know that was that was shortly after that prayer that I said man and uh, who had custody prior um, their aunt and thank God for her, man. I hated her for so many years. Uh, we fought and argued for so many years because she wouldn't allow me to see my kids. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I didn't know at the time she was protecting them. I had no idea at the time. I thought she was just being a bitch and keeping them from me. Uh, but, yeah, our relationship is good now. Um, but, yeah, we went to court. and So you got full permission. You got full custody of them while you were still in the joint i was or still in the rehab months, yeah the i was i still had three or four months yep and that's what Seems i told the odd. judge that's right that's what but i told the judge to move them in there yeah i said dude i'm in a i'm in a, a men's recovery center it's inpatient i can't leave you know she's on hip she can't take them to school what am i supposed to do and the judge is like dude you got to figure it out because you got full permanent sole permanent custody from this point forward yeah and what was Shit. that what what spurred that Oh, he. We had started the process before he went in. I don't even remember. I have no idea. Because they, they, the girls were coming back to us, saying all this shit, like because they just didn't like the the boundaries that their aunt had set, and we didn't have any, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and they wanted to be at the with him. Mm -hmm. So we started the process of. Um, getting custody while we were still in the madness see i don't remember contacting lawyer i don't remember any part of that like i remember the whole them coming back to us telling us stories about what was going on and how they didn't like things and all this shit but crying and shit i don't remember 
starting this process, you know. And like I said, when I December third, when he came around and told me that, I was like, wow, okay. Uh, I remember the day he called me and was like, I got custody, and I was so fearful. I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Because I, I thought they were going to have to come to the house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? I, I can't. First of all, they still hated me at that point in time. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was bad enough on the weekends. And <clears throat> I thought I was losing my shit then. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't, I can't take these girls. And, you know, I can't have them here i don't know what to do i can't you know i can't get any more releases to take them to school and pick them up i can't you know i can't have them here i was scared i was really very very fearful um so his mom ended up taking them and they would come over on the weekends at some point in time like he had set them down and was like i just need you all to try and Mm -hmm. that's when things started to shift a little with me and them Hmm. because we both you know me and then Jasmine and Taylor, we all started. Brian lived with me, so everything was good with me and her. She was eighteen. She did. She wasn't going to school, so um, things were good between us. Uh, but the once they were out of their aunt's custody and into his with his mom, and they would come over on the weekends and things like that. Um, things things shifted between us, and we started to get along better. And then I would still hear that shit though. Right. Like every time I called, like I would call him a dozen times a day because I was still trying to control everything out here Mm -hmm. while I was being in there. Um, and I would hear, you know, when they were at my mom's, they would bitch about Jennifer when they were at at the house, they would bitch about my mom. And it's like, well, you know what? I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave and and come home and and fix it all. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, man, the guys at the VOA saved my damn life. They would not give me a black bag so I could pack my shit and leave. He's like, dude, you are not leaving this place. Think about it. What are you going to do? You're going to go out there and not control shit. It's going to be the same. You know, he just told me. He broke it down for me. And for whatever reason I heard it, I was I was receptive of it, finally, you know. And it was tough, man. It was tough being behind those walls and, and hearing you know, my mom bitching about this and Jennifer, it was, everybody was just bitching every time I called. And it's like, look, dude, y'all gotta, y'all gotta chill out because I've, I've, I don't know what to do. You know, and I, again, I'm still trying to control things through the phone, right? Mm-hmm. You got to do this and you got to do that. And if you're this way, it'll be that way. And it was chaos, man. Uh, even when I got out, it was, I was still trying to do that control thing. I still didn't, didn't have a grip on that, that powerless, that step one. I had no grip on I'm powerless over fucking everything and I was still trying to put my hand in and play everybody else's hand at the same time it was uh, scary to say the least yeah it was scary when I got home I sat everybody down at the dining room table and told them what my first sponsor told me is I have to be selfish about this program and I have to do these things and if I go back out it's y'all's fault and then proceeded to tell us everything he didn't like about us. Yeah. He didn't like the way Jasmine talked. He didn't. Oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. It, was like, it wasn't the words that was, she was saying. It was the way that she was saying it. Like, I mean, I went Yeah. I went crazy for a little bit. Uh, sober. Yeah. <laughs> and again, man, it was six months sober. I had no fucking idea what was going on. Right? Like, my brain was still mush. 
Yeah, I just I kind of giggle at the new people who get a little, you know, they get a little, and I'm proud of them, and that, and I understand completely. But it's like, you know, you're still a fucking mess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh God, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now when I look back it at it, it takes years. Yeah, yeah. And I look back at it, and I was I was still a mess. I'm still a mess, but not as bad. Um, up until you know two plus years of of sobriety, like I was still trying to control shit. Like I still didn't have healthy boundaries. I would I would set a boundary and I would step on it and, and oh well let me break that for you or I can't break it. you know it was still pick and choose, uh, so it was still chaos man. And again I was not receptive of hearing my sponsor at the time. You know, um, I think year. it was when we started TSSR when we started to finally form yep. a healthy some healthy boundaries and a I healthy agree. lifestyle. Um, I agree. Well, I had I had Jeff at first for my first year yeah. uh, of recovery as a, the sponsor I met at the VOA. Uh, well, I met him at the Ice House. Uh, but he sponsored me up until my first year, and then I got Christopher to sponsor me. Uh, and it was because of these tokens, these chips. I saw on a, a Facebook post, and I was like, those are cool. I want to get one of those. I remember that. Uh, and, that and we went down. These are cool shit. Yeah. So, hey, these are cool-ass tokens. Dude. I need one of those. <laughs> And that's that's what brought it. That's what brought me into TSSR was these little wooden tokens. Uh, yeah, and we started going down to Unity and started talking to Christopher and finally opened up a little bit at, at TSSR. I think that's the first time I opened up and shared in any meeting was at TSSR. Hmm. I mean, hell, it was a pat beyond my year that I shared it at SU at my home group. Hmm. It was I would raise my hand and put it down real quick. Raise my head, put it down real quick before anybody saw me, you know, or somebody would say something. I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, fuck that. Somebody's going to think I'm stupid or I was still in self, you know, mm-hmm. um, got with Christopher. He took me through TSSR because I'd already been through AA. Uh, he took me through the 12 steps through TSSR, man. And that's when that's when my next aha moment hit. Like yeah. it was like, OK, this is this is life. This is how this is how we're supposed to do life. Yeah. And everything just started coming together from that, man. Um, I say it all the time, dude. AA taught me how to be sober and continues to teach me how to be sober. TSSR gave me the life I have today. And that's, I'll die saying that. Like, that is that is instilled in my heart. Like, that's mm-hmm. a fact. If it wasn't for TSSR, man, I don't, I really, truly don't think I would have the life I have today. AA is great. AA is phenomenal. And it, it definitely kept me sober keeps me sober and i wouldn't trade either one of them but tssr taught me how to live the life i live today yeah i agree i think for me um coming in tssr and i'm not i'm not saying any trying to knock aa i just didn't find my people there you know um i came in in tssr and it seemed like the people here in tssr were more word I'm looking for more willing to let me in maybe I just felt like an outsider still when I was in AA hmm. um, I think part of what kept me sober up until TSSR was um, one of my when I was on HIP one of my releases was to go to meetings so I would go down to the ice house next door to where he was at so we would go to meetings together but him being in the VOA and me being on HIP and having those releases kept me in meetings um and then when him when he got out, like that's how I found TSSR was through him and somebody that he had knew through Spiritual Underground mm-hmm. introduced him to it. Yep. 
I remember when he was talking about it, he was like, man, there's this guy in my group who wrote a book and he's got, he started these meetings and it's called 12 step spiritual recovery. And I was just like, Hmm, okay. Like I wasn't really hearing it. And then we, he was like, you want to go with me? And I was like, sure. We got down there and I'd been in Christopher's group the first time I'd gotten sober hmm. in ILP. And I was like, well, what the fuck? I know him. <laughs> like, and you know, like I said, I found my people there. Um, and I continue to, I continue to thrive with TSSR. Um, like it's given me the stepping stones to be who I am today, and I, I just, I really appreciate the, the work Christopher put into the book to help me understand that I'm good enough to have this life, mm-hmm. that I deserve this life. Yeah. But recovery wasn't. I mean, like it's. You know, being in a relationship in recovery, I think the main thing is like when one of us is slipping or one of us is, you know, having a bad day or the other one has that knowledge that, hey, we need to, maybe it's just you need to pray on it or mm-hmm. you, need, you need to call your sponsor. Have you talked to your sponsor about that? It's, we don't get mm-hmm. in each other's program. Um, we don't try to work each other's program. That's the main thing. It's you ain't too- never said you ought to call your sponsor? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely did because I was very pissed off. I was yeah. like, I don't – have you fucking talked to your sponsor? Because yeah. you need to get out of my face. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe only once. I've it was frightful, it. though. Yeah. It, it was definitely definitely deserved. Like, it was one of, those, one of those accountabilities, right? Like, I had to look at myself like, fuck, do I need to call? Yeah, probably fuck. I probably should call my sponsor on that because I'm acting like an asshole. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something else. We, we have our own meetings. Right. Like she said, it started with us going to the same meetings. And that was that was part of what was going to keep me in meetings was if she would go with me. Right. Like because at first it was once I got out of the BOA, it was okay. if you don't go to a meeting, I'm not going to go to a meeting, you know. And and so that kind of, I think, helped us both along the way um, at first. And then we found we found our own meetings and we we go to our we go to the TSSR together. Right. But we have our own personal meetings that we do without each other also um which i think is huge for yeah. for any relationship and recovery you know because there's the ones i see that work do that yeah, yeah. i mean there's, there's she has hers he sure. has his and it might weave together now and again but sure. it's not combined. it's not solely together yeah that's that, i don't think that would be very good for us and i shouldn't say that i have watched a few couples in my life now that seem to be tied at the hip and if you see one you see both but uh Honestly, it's not, I don't know, there's strikes me funny at some level. It's yeah. like, uh, I don't know, me, you know, I don't know. I'll, well, there's I'll times I need judgment. to, I just need to bitch about LJ not mm-hmm. doing the laundry or whatever the fuck sure. I need to bitch about. Well, that and, is and a the huge same, deal. You got to have yeah. some safe space to yeah. share. Yeah. And yeah. If you, if he's if sitting next to you, I don't know that you can really do that effectively. Yeah. Because, you know, even if it's effective for you, it's just mm-hmm. going to piss him off. Exactly. You know? Exactly. As much good and as it's doing, right. it's just Right, and then other people flames. in the room are going to kind of like be like, well, you know, sure. not trying to share their experience, strength, and hope on the matter because they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or however it goes. Yeah. Um, but in the meetings we do share together, we are able to, we're able to discuss what's going on in our family life and what's really, you know bothering us at that point you know as together as a couple um what we're struggling with yeah but yeah i like the fact that we're both pretty receptive of each other yeah right 
because I mean, there's been times in uh, Misfits, for example, that I've shared about you, but in you know, in the in the reflection of that, it was some shit that I did leading up to that, like before that, like that day. You know, it's like, damn, I was a real asshole today, and what did I do to start the ball rolling? Yeah, right. Like I need to tenth step this real quick. I need to, and that's something I heard early on in recovery is you got to if you're having a problem, you need to figure out what step to put on that problem. And I didn't understand that at four months over. Um, but but today it's like okay that's that's a third step problem or that's a fifth step whatever you know and and I can I can look at that today and, and I'm okay with that today I'm okay mm-hmm. with saying hey I I screwed up right here and what can I do to fix that you know because I don't like doing ninth steps anymore I don't like doing these amends they yeah. they're kind of painful sometimes it's uh, part of the side tangent whatever yeah. of an amend is the unconscious or the unsaid thing is you know you are by doing it amends you're saying you're not going to do whatever you did mm-hmm. again you may right. not actually verbalize that but there's an intent there and then you do it again you get tired of that shit you know <laughs> I don't want to continue yeah. to yeah yeah I don't I don't like that anyway I don't like feeling like that yeah and it's a promise to yourself you know it's a higher power thing too it's a you know not just the individual but you're kind of you know not kind of you are saying to your higher power that you know that's not the person i want to be anymore right mm-hmm. and right. then you got to kind of make sure you try and do that <laughs> right and there's it, it doesn't happen often but like when i do have a problem that and i still i'm it's still hard for me to verbalize any issue that i'm having because of my past um like if i have a problem if i have something that's bothering me about lj um so I'll text him, and he's very, very receptive of, uh, you're exactly right, I'll look into it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I haven't ever got a, what the fuck are you talking about, you know, anything like that. Yeah, listening yeah. instead mm-hmm. of defending. And it's not, it's not to say that self- Or gaslighting. Yeah, self wants to jump in a lot of those times, though, because I feel it in my chest, that, that tightness, you know, it's yeah. like, what the fuck, really? You're really going to be... But then, I, I again, man, I put steps on it, and I, I look back at it, it's like, okay, you know what? Calm down. Pause when agitated, the cliche, yeah. and and look at this. Look at the whole situation, not just not just this little tunnel vision thing of, of the problem. Look at the whole situation. Yeah. And I'm able to do that today, and that's, that's huge. Yeah, it is huge. And it's definitely thanks to this program and, our, and, and good sponsorship, group, man. man. Support it's group both, and sponsorship. Yeah. Good sponsorship because, you know, <clears throat> I can tell my sponsor any and everything. And I can be in before, like if I, you know, I had a couple of sponsors before and they would tell me, well, you know, this, this and that. And I'd just be like, mm, I'm still going to do it this way. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't like what you're saying. So well, that's how it was the first two years of, of having Christopher, first year and a half of having Christopher. Like he would tell me something. I'll go outside and bitch about you or the kids. And he'd tell me. He would suggest some things to me, and it's like, yeah, it sounds great. And I'd hang up the phone, and I'd do it my way. Mm-hmm. And it'd bite me in the ass every time. And it's yeah. like, dude, hold on. Uh, when I finally started taking those suggestions and actually applying them, yeah, uh, things things changed. Yeah, Cindy, has, Cindy knows me well enough to know how to approach me when I'm in the wrong and when she, you know, she's like, well, you know. So, it, so she has a way that of talking to me that makes me want to listen it makes me want to take and even if i'm pissed off at her and i don't want to hear what she's saying i know she's right you know i know that what she has to say to me is right and i take her advice and do the hard shit you know even 
as much as I don't want to do it, I still do it. And thank God, thank God I have Cindy. Like she's, she's definitely the best thing that happened to me sponsor wise throughout all of this she definitely gets me and she's definitely my number one supporter outside of LJ. Um, so it, it, that's one of the biggest things is having is good sponsorship, having that connection with your sponsor and being able to open up and express everything that, you know, you're feeling. Cause if I felt like I needed to hide anything from her, I don't think I would mm-hmm. be where I am today. Yeah. Well, if you are, you know, most of the time, if you feel, you know, you're not doing what you should be doing if you got to hide it from your sponsor. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. So there's that. And, uh, you know, I, that guy came and handed out them pamphlets in a meeting not long ago that to start out, to, to begin at the position that I'm wrong rather than digging in, you know, and I kind of, I leave it open for me to be wrong mm-hmm. today, you know, rather than instantly, because if you do it, if you come and talk to me at, you know, and I don't know, I'm not going to say, it wasn't even necessarily before I got sober. It was when I still wasn't operating in the way I'm operating today. If you're telling me something, I'm already up here wheeling around in my head about where you're not right and here's the deal. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't even, you know, the person sitting there going, yeah. <laughs> right. And I ain't hearing shit because my mind is cooking around. And, you know, the, uh, kind of like expanding when I'm working with the new guys on what step three, the depth of step three, you know, uh, a piece of that is me saying, okay, I, my, my sponsor is always right. Mm-hmm. I need to come. Also, not only am I going to begin from a position that I may be wrong, uh, if my sponsor's telling me something, uh, it's it, he's right. Yeah. And just drive that anchor into the soil that that's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's and how I turn my will over. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if I'm always right, then that leaves absolutely no room for growth. Yeah. Because I got to be teachable. Yep. You know? I got to start from a position of at least I may be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that this these steps through TSSR has definitely opened up for me is to be teachable and to admit when I just, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, I need help. And I, I've definitely reached out and asked for help. I like it. The longer I stay sober, the less I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. You know, it's not exactly true, but in theory, there's a piece of that where that's the mindset I have to work with. Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense. It's I'm, I'm okay with saying, I have no idea what the hell's going on. Can you show me? Uh, yeah, have no problem saying that to anybody today, yeah. or I need help, right? Yeah. Like I smack even when I away. know you're not right. Yeah, I you still know. need to know. In a world of like my work, when a customer is trying to tell mm-hmm. me something that I know is not right, I don't tell them. Right. Yeah. I may gently nudge and that kind of yeah. stuff, but uh, yeah. Go away. Let me do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're paying me for this reason. Let me do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just. Yep. So we, um, last year we, uh, we were, so we, he had bought his mother a condo and we were living in her house. Yeah. Um, for year, that's some change. A few years. Uh, we just moved out last year. With her out? Yeah. It was a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we fixed it up and sold it and bought a house and then we went to, Hawaii and got married. We're coming up on our one year anniversary of being married. Oh, everything and all the kids except for one are out of the house doing their own thing. 
they're all doing well for themselves. We have a granddaughter. She just turned a year old in July. Mm-hmm. We, we get uh, to be there for these things, yeah. man. Like, <clears throat> mine and Michaela's relationship, her my stepdaughter, wasn't great, right? Like it was, it was kind of to an extent of what you and Taylor went through. You know, without the screaming and yelling and cussing and hollering, it was just she just kind of blocked me out uh, for a long time. And through the work, I probably did six or seven tenth steps on her, you know, that weren't just like, okay, let me write some. It was like front and back papers, sitting down for a couple hours at a time, going through these tenth steps, uh, trying to figure out my part and, and why our relationship is the way it is, actually doing the work to figure it out. Um, paid off man uh she asked me to walk her down the aisle which is it fucking made me cry like it brought Mm -hmm. tears it was just amazing that she out of her mouth asked me you know and it was like dude that's that's huge right like that's huge for me um taylor you know we got to be there for her being sworn into the military yeah which is fucking amazing uh we get to be there for the the grandkids and we get to be there for life. We get to be there for ourselves. We get to be uh, there for all the advice and yeah. What do you think I should do? Yeah. And that's in that you know the girls, his girls, they call me all the time. Like, what, what do you? How do you think I should do this? Well, or they what call do you, you before they call me. Yeah. Yeah. A for lot sure. of the times they do. Yeah. Uh, what do I, What should I do with this? You know, and and that makes me feel. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just so grateful for that because, you know, you've heard bits and pieces of how it was before. There were times where, you know, I, we, me and the girls were about to throw fists with each other because, mm-hmm. I mean, it just was that bad. Um, but I'm just so grateful that they come to me for these things and they look up to me because they know that I'm sober and they know that I'm leading life. I'm walking my path in the right direction. Jasmine and her boyfriend just went to church with us on Sunday. That was that was a blessing in itself. Mm-hmm. It takes a pretty good stretch of consistent behavior before you earn that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And a lot of people, it's another one of these things about people coming in and they want all that back. Like, well, you know, I've been sober six months, God damn it. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, that ain't gonna, obviously that's not enough. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of how I felt. When will it be? Mm-hmm. But you'll know when it is. Yeah. Right. you got to uh, earn like You, you just have to do that steadily. So yeah. much, so many years of stepping on toes and breaking promises and hurting people that, you know, they just they expect that shit. Yeah, you know, they expect they expect yeah. to be let down again. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I think um, I don't know because I've never been on that side of it, but you know, from from going through what I've been through, like I that's what they do. They just expect us to to screw up again because that's what we've always done: lied mm-hmm. to them and screwed up. You know, hurt their feelings again. Um, yeah, but over time you build that back, and yeah. uh, you get that. I, one of the things that happened to me when I was, uh, and you know, again, as I said before, podcast, I have no idea about time anymore. But I wasn't on home incarceration anymore, so it had to be in my second year of recovery that uh, uh, their mom called me up and told me she was moving to Florida for a job, and you know, I was immediately pissed because she was taking the kids away, and she informed me, "No, nah, I'm leaving them with you." And I was pissed because <laughs> she was leaving them with me. Uh, but she was gone for three months, 90 days, something like that. Uh, I think it was intended to be longer, but it, uh, it was 90 days and I had the kids. And that was a, a huge blessing. And, they, it, you know, as, you, as we do, uh, I don't see that 
until I'm looking in the rearview mirror, right? It seems like a real pain in the ass for now. But I had to suit up and show up and have my kids be there for them for a straight 90 days with no other parent helping, you know, because yeah. I could always get off, you know, a few days over there. You know, I could... <sighs> don't right. have to play dad for a few days yeah. uh, and then they'd be back and then you know you could dig in and do a few days in a row of being okay you know doing what you're supposed to do but it scared me was i going to be able to do that and then like i said the blessing of that i had that opportunity god gave me that opportunity of 90 days you know three months which you can drop in the bucket but three months of every day doing what i was supposed to do and not flipping them out and not you know, doing being the dad I was supposed to be, uh, I saw after that the trust. I'd, I know mm-hmm. that that earned my trust. They that earned their trust back a great deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. they got to see you consistently, and they got to see that you were still doing good. And, yep, mm-hmm. and day in, day out, day in, day out. Because I think there was a little bit of something like, well, the cat's away kind of thing that they assumed. Yeah, because yeah. that's what I would do in the past, right? You know, right. when they were when they weren't with me, I can do whatever I want to do. Yeah. yeah, and I think they know that. They knew that, even if they weren't with me, they knew it. And then, uh, but you know, had to show up every day, twenty four seven, and uh, and it proved it to them. I saw it prove it to them. I saw our relationship heal a great deal over that ninety days. Nice. Yeah, I'm just, you know, Travis is, he was, he was at my mom's for a while after we got sober. He just moved in with us when we moved into this house. And uh, I think it's definitely, him and I have always been pretty close, but he's got a girlfriend now and they've been together for a while. And, you know, in their rocky patches, he'll call me and he'd be like, ask me for his advice. Mm -hmm. What should he do? Like, that's, that in itself is just amazing to me because for one I'm raising a good man. Like I, the way he treats her, he opens the door for mm-hmm. her and buys her flowers. And just, I mean, I see that I'm raising a good man. And she tells me how much she loves him. She's a good kid too. Like I adore her. And uh, it's just, it's amazing to me to see that after everything that he's been through, he's, you know, and his dad wasn't present. And so he's got to see LJ as an example these last, you know, five, six five years, years as an example of, what to be as a man how to treat a woman because lj doesn't do he doesn't raise his voice at me i I can't even tell you the last time we got into an argument like we don't you know we it's been a long time yeah it's been a long time to the point where i joke with her sometimes hey let's argue tonight just (laughs) just because it's been a long time (laughs) see how it feels again but you know all joking but um it's been i mean we'll have a, a a disagreement here and there but i think that's normal Right. You know, it doesn't get like fucking. It doesn't get like it used to. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and I was a, a runner. Every time no we got into an voices, argument, no fighting, no phones getting stuck in the wall. Uh-uh. No, nothing like that. Yeah, my main uh, <laughs> my main coping mechanism in relationships was bolt. Yep, mine too. I would pack my shit and go. It, I think my shit was already packed at most <laughs> all points in time, and just be ready to go. Yeah. Ready to go. But mm-hmm. you know we've built a good life together we have and you know it's just there's so much more room to grow and i'm just really grateful that i have lj and i'm glad that he's in this program as well and has a good he works a good solid program you know and you know there's where we know each other's sponsees we know each other you know he's 
got to roll with his sponsees. If you are, if your shit's on fire, you call me and I'll answer call right back. I'll make sure I answer. So yeah. that's happened a few times where he's been asleep and I'm like, wake up, wake up. Somebody's fucking calling. You need to answer the phone. Um, yeah. you know, so we understand. And it's, it's, it, I think, I don't know if I could do this with somebody who just didn't get the program, you know, no, there's no way I could cause, cause we're, we're pretty involved. Like we're pretty involved in our program and it's, it's, it's every day. Like it's part of my every single day life. So, like, there's not a time that I go a day when I'm like, don't think about my sobriety, you know? Yeah, just a way of being now. Yeah, yeah. And I, there's been times where I was like, where I wondered, like, is this going to be something that I'm, I think about every single day of my life? Yeah, it is. And I'm fine with that. When I hit 10 years, I'm jumping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with it. Like, you know, it's an everyday thing. I get up in the morning, like, I have a routine. I get up in the mornings, I feed the birds turn the snake light on feed the fish get on marco polo and polo cindy you know it's it's part of my everyday routine it may, uh, there's something i've heard all my life uh, i'm not a big bible thumper although i know there's a lot of good lessons in there and one of the things i've heard from a long time back was this statement in there about being unequally yoked mm-hmm. and the basis of it is is people working different spiritual programs having different spiritual beliefs uh, makes it tough to come together and that's one of the things that happens here is you both are like operating from the same playbook mm-hmm. uh, I'm with you I don't know how I can't I don't know you know of course my history shows I can't I can't have a girlfriend that's not in a program and I can't have one that is either <laughs> uh, but I that equally yoke thing because I'm certainly not going to like it's a deal breaker in my world if somebody drinks or uses it's yeah. a deal breaker yeah. uh, it's not even not it's it's like the can't be said any more plain than that Mm -hmm. and to go on to that same thing is that you know uh such a small little set of words in that book it says that we have a a design for living that works and it says it works in rough going but it works all the time and when you have that you know because that's really you know there's i always say miracles and and the biggest thing about recovery just happens to be whatever it happens to be in my mind at the time because i put a bunch of things and that the best thing in recovery mm-hmm. i've got about a thousand things in first place right yeah. um, right but having a guidebook on because uh, that's one thing i didn't have i didn't have uh operating parameters on how to do this i was always just guessing yeah you know everything i did was a guess man yeah. and uh you know, or you know watch somebody else and hope that maybe what they're doing is what i ought to be doing right yeah. uh, trying to follow somebody else yep. so and so now i have a set of you know i have some guidelines that i can run my life against with yep. and uh and fact of the matter is it works mm-hmm. yeah i love that too man because I love having my own set of principles, right? Like the principles in this book is what we go by today, is what we live off of today. And and before it was, I need to to treat you, you know, it was it was so different before. Like I would act so different. I guess it was masks that I would wear, um, not just how I acted, but how how I would treat you. You know, like today I treat everybody pretty much the damn same. I, I've run one path, and this is it. You know, if you like it, cool. If you don't, sorry. I'm not going to change, you know, and before it was, okay, I'm going to change and be this way for you and change and be that way for you. And maybe I'll argue with you, maybe I'll not should be right. Yeah. In any particular situation. Yeah. And it's so cool that I don't even have to do it. And it's so, such a big weight lifted off to not have to worry about that today. Mm-hmm. Not have to worry about keeping up with the lies and the bullshit. Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm just going to operate one fucking way and just is what it is. You know, the people who, who appreciate it, then that's, that's who we're going to run with. You know, the people that don't, I don't need them in my life. 
Yeah. And that's that's pretty much it today. And those people weed themselves out. Yeah. And that's today fine. I've got a pretty damn good good circle. We've yeah. got a pretty nice circle of friends, man. Yep. I personally have no friends from the past. No. None. I don't I don't I've got one. I know some people that do. I'm not saying that's but I have zero. Yep. I've got one. Doug. Yeah. It's the only person I still associate with from the past. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really associate with anybody. The people that I would, you know, they're doing their own thing in different states. But like my solid group of friends are, yep. they're all, you know, in twelve state. steppers. Yep. yep, absolutely. And the only reason I still associate with Doug because he res- he's always since the day, hell, and he's always respected my program. He respects yeah. what I do. Yeah. Uh, to the and, point where it was weird as shit for me at first, right? Like, I go to his house and he'd be hiding stuff and spraying air. For, I'm like, dude, you're making this really uncomfortable <laughs> for me. Can you just do what you do? Like, just because I can't do it doesn't mean you can't. Um, I struggle with addict behavior. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's still under that. And I, and I do, I uh, would like to think that I could rise above that and not sweat it. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I have a very low tolerance for Same. addict behavior. Same. Yeah. Yeah, because it's under there. No matter if they're, the, you know, and it doesn't. Because yeah, I know fully today that it ain't that person. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the way right. the book says. You know, they're sick just like I was, and I know that this thing has hijacked their operating system, mm-hmm. and I can grant them that grace with that, but I prefer not to be around it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I can't stand exactly. Yeah, I sit there and listen. Like, you know, sometimes they may tell the truth. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I hate, I hate being, that, that's one of my biggest pet peeves today is being manipulated and lied to as my, you know, my number one core value is honesty and you, you cross that and try to manipulate me. I'm just, I'm, I, don't, I don't want nothing to do with you. I yeah. just cut it completely off. I hate it. Like, I just feel like I, I, it's me, you know, it's me seeing a reflection of who I used to be. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't like that. I, I hated that part of myself. You know, because I was always upfront and honest about my addiction, but, you know, I did lie, manipulate, and do whatever I needed to do to get whatever I needed to get, but I didn't see it like that then. But now looking back on it, I see that, and I'm like, don't try to fucking manipulate me, man. Mm-hmm. I'm the queen of manipulation. Yeah, And that's one of the big things that caused our, a lot of our disagreements at first was was the kids manip- yeah. trying to manipulate me, and, and I would go along with it, right? I would completely go along with it because I didn't see that shit, and that's that's one of the one of the best things about having somebody in the program because she could call me on it and be like, "She's manipulating you right Look, now." Look, dummy. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd be like, "No, she's not," you know, and and still and go. I'd be like, her. "I'd be like, watch every single time this happens, this is what's going to happen," and he'd be like, "Well, motherfucker." <laughs> yeah, and then being able to see, it, it's like, "Holy shit, you're right." Um, yeah. yeah, and that goes along with what you were saying. The operating out of the same playbook. Uh, which is really awesome, man, because we can go back and forth with things, right? Like, we don't work each other's program, but we can bounce shit off each other yeah. um, and know that I'm getting solid advice back, which is cool. I, I really appreciate that. Because yeah. life is all, as come from the Don Major stuff, life is all a bunch of course corrections, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in my life, my sponsor is that, you know? Yeah. And at some level, uh, it fulfills that mm. role for me, but you know having a partner to do the same thing that has the permission to say hey you're not seeing because i don't see things right all the time right and right and i need somebody else especially i don't especially don't see me very well so i gotta have somebody else that'll help me see me because i'm i just don't see it i need i need to run that stuff by somebody else and in this situation of a relationship when you got somebody that has permission to be able to say hey 
Yeah. Turn left a little bit. And knowing that we are able to tell each other when, you know, give each other that advice or lean on each other is definitely a big, I think it's one of the solid links in our foundation of a relationship. Yeah. Because, you know, that I just, I trust him with everything that I've got and I tell him all my shit, you know, so... And there's been times where I'd run into a situation or something that I didn't like, something didn't go my way, and it's like, you know what, I'm not gonna, not gonna bounce this off of Jennifer because I know what the advice is gonna be. Same advice Christopher would give me <laughs> yeah. is, is I'm fucking wrong, so I'm gonna bounce it off the kids, and the kids hit me with, Dad, you need to go to a fucking meeting. Like, what is wrong with you? You know, it's like shit. I knew that was coming, um, but it, it's good to have have that accountability today with everybody. You know, with everybody in my yeah. group, man, everybody in my circle holds me accountable, yeah. and. I can I can take it. Yeah, and we t- I think we discuss our because it's you know we have the we've discussed it around each other enough and around the kids enough that they know when we're when we um, when to call us on our bullshit yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Or if they if they need to call me on his bullshit, they will. <laughs> Jen, <laughs> Dad's doing this. I'm like, oh, leave them the fuck alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a lot of picking. I pick at him a lot. Yeah. It's okay. I don't know. There's been a couple times where I've had to be like, you need to stay the fuck out of it, man. Just stay out of it. Let them, they're going to have to learn because we ain't telling them nothing. Yeah. It's hard though. It's hard to see our kids going through shit, man. It's hard to see our kids going through the struggles that led us to where we ended up is, is my thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, man, I've got to, I've got to jump in and take care of this, you know, and I've got to have somebody like Jennifer, Christopher, support group, somebody. Hey, dude, look, you need to back up. You got to back up. They got their higher power. You got your higher power. Let them handle it. Yeah. Because there's only so much you can do. And they're never going to learn if you don't let them fall. Yep. Yep. We never learn from the things we did right. Huh. We no. learn from our mistakes. And no matter, no no amount of heli- helicopter parenting will stop them from making their mistakes. Yep. There's nothing you can do. And that's something that I, I had to learn is is the more I interfere with the kids' shit, the less they come to me when they're in shit because they think I'm going to jump in and try to fix it. Um, yeah. Since I've stepped out, they've definitely started coming to me um, a lot more about their issues. You know, I'm struggling with this or I'm stressing about that. And it's like, okay, well let's try this you know instead of jumping and saying i'll fix it for you um, or let me tell you what to do right right let's try this the other thing yeah yeah and and they're they're starting to see that now which is cool nobody likes to be told what to do even when they're right yeah. and another thing that we decided like <clears throat> when we decided together was we can't we can't do what our parents did for us was the enabling mm-hmm. the enabling behaviors you know no letting consequences. Us, yeah. yeah. Letting us come and live with them whenever we wanted, just do whatever we wanted, treat them however they we wanted. And we don't. We don't put up with the shit. You know, we we have a solid boundary on that of you've got to do this, this, and that. If this is, you know, for us to, once we see that you're trying to do for yourself, we'll help. But, you know, yep. if you can't show us that you're trying to do better with your life, then you're just going to have to figure it out yourself. And it's working. It's working. Let's yeah. see. Three out of the five are in their own place. 
Travis is still in high school. Brian's got the baby living with his mom. It's because she didn't want to follow simple boundaries. Yeah. You know, we offered to bring her in the house. And when she lost her place and she's like, you know what? I'm just going to call grandma because that'll be easier. Hmm. Okay, cool. Call grandma. That's fine. And she did with simple things, you know, hmm. get a job, pick up after yourself, help out. Get just simple things, license. right? Do for yourself. Get it. Just do for yourself. Yeah. Um, so his mom still enables know. those behaviors with her and that's, that's on her. He gets yeah. the backlash it's a whole on that other, Yeah. It's a whole other bag of issues right <laughs> yeah. there. And that's something else that the program's taught me. Like, I've got I've to step out of that situation, man. I can be there to an extent, but I can't, I can't fucking fix it. I can't fix it. I can't fix mom's bitches about Bree. I can't fix Bree's bitches about... Just do, try to do this, and if that doesn't work, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. you know, there's a lot of times when, you know... I'm not here to fix it. Mm-hmm. I'll listen to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, my, my my advice given is pretty slim today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I might present some options of one what one might do. Right. Yep. But uh, I can only I'm do pretty, that. I, I don't know. I caught on to that little powerless. That was really one of my very first powerless like aha moments was realizing I don't have the power over these children that I thought I did. And another one was was when they were when they were acting up or whatever you want to say. Uh, I took that personally as a reflection on me, and I realized part of the reason why I would get mad. For instance, if you're in the grocery store and your kids are acting like heathens, I didn't want them to be quiet so they behave okay. I wanted them to be I wanted them to be quiet so they wouldn't embarrass me. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, and started getting that driven in my skull and realizing that, you know, again, they're, they're, my job is not to create those kids in the way that I think they should be. Yes. Yeah. not, they're going to be different. They're going to have to find their own way and they're going to have to make their mistakes and they're going to have to pay the consequences for those mistakes. And yeah. it's exactly what we've been trying to tell them, but we're trying to tell his mother mainly. Yeah, but like that other side of it, there'd be nothing ever happened there either. It's, it's the same thing. It's that, you know, if it if I I've never been able to change anybody so far. Yeah. Right. You know, right. Yeah, can't start thinking I can change them now. Yeah. Right. And we had to learn from our mistakes. Thank God that we did until it before it was too late. Because I wasn't. I don't. I definitely probably wouldn't be here now. I'd still been running the path that I was running. No. No, I don't think so either. Me neither. I didn't care to be. That's just what it is. I didn't think I belonged here. Never thought I was good enough to get this life, right? I figured I've screwed up so much in the past that this is just the life for me. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna, it's gonna be this way the whole rest of the time. Yeah. I never thought I was better than having a fast food job and. Yeah living in my mom's basement I didn't have any goals there was never any I never had any goals of anything above I, <laughs> I think my first couple apartments I was on section 8 and then first you know first time buying a house or having a, anything of my own was when we bought the house mm-hmm. together I think while I was still in the VOA you and I made a five year plan 
Yeah. Like a five-year goals or whatever. And I guess a year or so ago, you were like, holy shit, we've we hit all our goals. And I'm like, yeah, no way. And we kind of went over them with each other and we're like, damn, we killed out a five-year plan in three and a half, mm-hmm. you know, and didn't even really pay attention to it, right? It just happened. You know, it's, it's that whole doing the next right thing and shit just works out for you. And it did. It was pretty awesome. Definitely wouldn't want to do it with anybody else, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I've said this and I picked it up someplace else. It's like there's this line that runs right up the middle of life. And over here is doing the right thing. You know, and over here is flirting around with, with stuff you know that ain't the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there never was a moment in my life that I've done anything that I whoopsed. It wasn't like I, you know, oh shit, this stuff's bad for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. in my heart from the beginning that somebody offered me a beer, offered me a joint, offered yeah. me the next drug, the next drug, the next drug. Every single time I knew in my heart that I shouldn't really be doing this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and then once you got into a part of it and it become normal, and you were doing it, but every single one, and I didn't listen to myself. That's another thing I heard the other day. Said something about the wisdom is the ability to listen to your own conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yes. you know what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of the parallel thing of inside every man, woman, and child's fundamental idea of God. Inside of every woman, man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of right and wrong too, mm-hmm. and you know it. And uh, so, if you want to play on this side of the road, you're going to pay the consequences. Yeah. If you're going to play on this side of the road, if you'll stay over here, things go pretty smooth. Yeah. Life rolls along pretty good. But when you start stepping over there on that other side of the line and how much, how far you spend time over on that side of the line, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you learn how well, to you'll win that. your stupid prizes. Stupid yeah. games win that, stupid prizes. And that that's just, to some extent, it seems, at times it seems it's just that simple. Just continue to do the right things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and let everything else let the rest of the chips fall where they may yep yep, yep. and they they fall pretty good when i'm doing this yeah and again you always have to we always in recovery have to put in that disclaimer that there's still shit happens oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah definitely but i deal with it a whole lot better than than i ever did before too i can yep. walk through things i can walk through hard things today in a healthy manner yeah because yep. i don't yep. have to go completely fuck my entire everything up just because I've had one bad day. Yeah. Well, and, that, and we don't have to do this shit alone. Yeah. Like that's that's the yeah. biggest part for me. Like I can call people today when I'm going through some shit. I can call somebody. I reach out to somebody, and whether it's the advice I want to hear, whether it's whatever I want to hear or not, they shoot straight. Yeah. You know, and I know whenever I ask somebody something today, in my circle, in my in my support group, they're gonna give me the truth. They're gonna give me the best suggestion that they can give me in my situation. And nine times out of ten, they've been through the shit, which is something else cool about this program because somebody if, has. If somebody's been through it, man. If not, they know somebody who's been through it, um, which is cool, man. It's really cool. I heard something in a meeting the other day that made me start thinking something about, um, you know, it's never a coincidence when you go into a meeting and you hear exactly what you need to hear. It's God answering your prayers. Like, this is what you need to hear. Listen to it, you know. How many times in early recovery when you were still on the steps did you walk in a meeting and they were talking about the mm. step you're on? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And how can that happen to everybody? Yeah, yeah. You know? exactly. Because we're not all on the same step. Exactly. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny. And I remember talking about it like what it was, you know, going to my sponsor. You ain't going to believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? It's so and funny. Now, Guess what they My guys come out all the time. You can't believe it. I yeah. went to a meeting tonight and they were talking about step three. Yeah. I went to a meeting tonight and they were talking about the step they're on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's that happen to everybody? 
or we were just talking about that earlier whatever issue right. i have going on oh my god i can't believe that this is exactly what i needed to hear today that's because god knew exactly what you needed to hear if you keep your eyes and ears open yeah you can remain teachable we started like going earlier. to uh, southeast christian probably about a month maybe two months ago and the big uh, one yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's every sermon, man. Every sermon, it's just like it's exactly what I needed to hear. It's and it's so powerful, and I re- I really enjoy that. You can just walk in there for us, for me anyway. You walk in there and you can just feel it. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's so much presence of God in there. Yeah, I just really enjoy that place. Too. We watched uh, one of our brothers in the program get baptized there, and had no idea it was him till after the fact. Josh. Yeah. You know, it was like, dude, I mean, it brought tears to everybody's eyes, I think, when right. he came out of the water. It was like, yeah. man, that was super. And then to find out it was him, it was like, holy shit, that just, yeah. <laughs> just juiced it up even more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it, there's a lot of lot of talk of addiction mm-hmm. um, in, in the sermons in the church, you know, which, again, it kind of makes somebody like us feel right where we're supposed to be, you know, and, and we hear the message a lot. Well, it truly is an epidemic. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I say this thing about, you know, a few years ago they talked about the opium epidemic mm-hmm. and there was one. But just in the whole umbrella of dope and booze, yeah. It's uh it's a, pro- it's, it's a big problem. It's rocking I'm so, the earth. So thankful that I got out of it when I did because that fentanyl was it was it was being dabbled in, but it hit hit real heavy after I got out of it. Well, got literally out of literally every single person that we knew together okay let's just keep it at the, the past few years like everybody we knew together in the madness is dead yeah. every single person every either, single person they either died OD. of an overdose or they got killed i i just the there was a thing fbi 26 uh, people 26 people one of them was one of my ex-boyfriends that oh, i was this big arrest this mm-hmm. time yeah yeah uh, i was right dad with told him. me about it pretty heavy before i met lj like i meant to look it up and see if i knew anybody <laughs> A lot of faces on yeah. there. I mean, I knew I knew a few of them, but it, I'm I'm just so you know, there are so many avenues that I could have went down besides recovery that could have led me to prison or dead. <clears throat> I, I think I would have been dead though, because I was just starting to experiment with more different yeah. you know, because I was really really scared of trying shooting up heroin I'd tried it it before but shooting it up scared the shit out of me because I was afraid that I was going to kill myself and then I started not giving a fuck so Mm -hmm. yeah it's weird where we put these boundaries up I'll shoot that mouth but not that heroin right (laughs) it was always I was you know I was always like judgmental people I cannot believe that they're doing that and then next thing I know I'm doing that yep if I ever get that bad right the first yeah. time I heard yeah, a guy mention heroin, I was like, "There's heroin in Louisville? Yeah, I'm like, there's heroin here?" Yeah, I thought that was like an uh, East and West Coast thing. Right. You know? I didn't know that was actually yeah. here when I first started hearing about it, and then it just blew up, you know. But it was off the tail end of that whole pain pill epidemic, uh-huh. and uh, that's uh, another. Uh, I've read a lot of things about that story, and more educated than uh, than I intended to be. Yeah, but that's you know, at the end of that, well, same thing with my. One month before my sobriety date, I did heroin for the first time, and I just snorted it. Hmm. And I went and picked up some dude I met in rehab, because he could get me some. 
and uh and it's the best we place went to be someplace and you know how them dudes don't ever have no wheels i've always right. had a car right. and right. the license and, and registration and insurance and all that shit i always had that stuff and uh took him over and he got what he needed and we came back here uh actually sitting right in that room and uh he wanted to know he said you don't have, have any needles do you and i was like yeah i think i do and I had a whole box of them from our IVF therapy, our IVF stuff from going through in vitro oh fertilization, both of my kids. And I had a whole box of them, you know, mm-hmm. and then it didn't even like, and I come in there, does any of these work? He was like, hell yeah, can I have a handful of them? <laughs> you have no idea how, how gold those things were on and, the streets. Uh, that's what he was really happy. And then I, I, I didn't even know how much. I was like, you know, cut out how much you think I ought to do. Because I don't know nothing. Right. That's scary. And he did. And then, uh, boom, I did that, you know, and it was off in La La Land for a little bit. And I remember looking over at him, and he was, he had shot it, and he was all slumped over and just mm. gone, you know. And I don't, I never had a fear that he was like dead or anything. That never, like, OD did not cross my mind. He was just, you know, out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then later on that night, he was like, man, you got to take me home. And I was like, well, God damn, you know, uh, ain't nobody's going to be here all night. And he said, yeah, but I got to get home. And so we go to get in a truck and he says, hey, you got to hide this somewhere. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, open up your hood. And he had to, he put the stuff that he had in the fuse box and under the hood and shut it. And like that level of paranoia flipped me out too. I was like, wow, you know, because I never, oh, I never worked real hard to hide my, you know, I put it in my pocket. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, there are some, some eccentric hiding places we could come up with. And uh, took him out there. And of course, when I drop him off in the middle of the night up here in this, like in the woods almost kind of thing, you know, then we got to get, then we got to get out and pop the hood and get a flashlight out to find the shit, you know. And it's like, man, this seems like a lot of trouble. And of course, a few days later than that, uh, I'd, I'd used up what I had and I called him back and he said sure meet me over at such and such and I mm. met him and I gave him $100 and he disappeared on me mm. Mm. and it pissed me off I swear I had a resentment against it to, that might have saved my life yeah that's what oh, I was yeah. going to say because you know, my sobriety God that was right around Thanksgiving weekend of 2014 and my sobriety dates January 1st of 2015 and uh, and it's funny that you know that he stole my hundred dollars which is I have always had money I just had jobs that paid well and, and that's something I never did plus I stole all my drugs so I didn't have to buy them right. I was breaking in houses getting them you know I didn't have any financial <laughs> involvement in my drugs just criminal it's fine <laughs> and, uh, it is kind of funny because I, you know, the the financial straits most people get in using. Um, I, I was thinking about that, you know, and I, well, hell, I was stealing everything I had, you know, it was all just pain pills, and uh, never had any money involved in it. But uh, that resentment of him stealing my hundred dollars, uh, I remember going, you know, well, fuck that shit. I ain't never doing none of that shit anymore. That's just bullshit, man. Motherfucking drug addicts steal your goddamn money. Fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck them drug addicts. I ain't one. I I wasn't trying to get no heroin. (laughs) I was just doing a holdover because I was, you know, I couldn't find no pills. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. You couldn't find anybody house to break into. (laughs) And then, you know, he did, uh, and he's dead. Uh, He, uh, I was, I don't know, four months sober or something. I don't really know. Like I said, that timeline. And he called me up one day, and phone rang, and I'd heard nothing from him, you know, of course, because he stole my money. He wasn't going to call me, and he called me up, and he said he wanted to get right with me. And I was like, really? 
said, oh, cool. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, well, maybe he's in recovery too, you know, and that whole thing oh, about getting right with right. me, you know, and he said, uh, I can't pay you in cash, but I got I got enough lower tabs that would be the same Oops. Uh, <laughs> money as that would be. And uh, and I was, no, thank you, man, because I, I I had the monkey off my back, and of course I was I had a whole lot. You know, I'm wearing an ankle bracelet, and, mm-hmm. right. but I was, you know, I worked the steps with Christopher in four months, and I was sober. I was through the steps and free. Uh, so God. I mean, I didn't. By the time he called, and I went and shared about it in a meeting, and got the great advice from everybody there of, uh, you need to uh, block that number, dude. <laughs> right. Uh, and then it wasn't too awful long. I heard somebody, you know, said, hey, man, you remember so-and-so? And yeah, well, he OD'd last night. Yeah. I say, yeah, we know. I, and as I say over and over again, too, that I I, I really, I, I didn't know death like I knew it since coming into recovery. I know somebody that dies almost <laughs> a, a degree or two or three, maybe whatever, away from me, a friend of a friend's right. that dies every week. Yeah. It's every week. There's still a couple out there that I'm just, I'm dreading that phone call because they're people that I, I do care about. And I just want them, I, I really wish that they would get sober, but they're off and running. And, and some of them, I can't even believe they're still running, you know, like how yeah, you it, say that that's the thing, you know, like you say, you thought you'd be dead and I know, and mm-hmm. that's not a bad thought to to saddle up on either yeah. right uh but some people keep doing it for a long gosh damn time yeah 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 but you don't get old oh no no yeah. you can't i was watching some uh tripped onto some youtube channel the other day about those they were interviewing people in the street oh my gosh and i think it was tucson arizona if i'm not mistaken homeless people you know and they were yeah. all homeless and just i mean golly it gives you that another dose of like Jeez, mm-hmm. yeah. that's where I had, there I am. Yeah, that's where I was heading. That's for sure. Yep. So what do they say? What's it? Uh, if not for the grace of God, there I go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt. So was what I thought, and I took a big dose of watching them the other night too. Yeah, it's good for me. Good. I yeah. run across them on TikTok, and it's just devastating. It's so yeah. sad. I find myself stuck on them too. Like, why am I watching? It's like that same thing. Like, that's I have to sometimes. I have to remind myself. I don't that's I'm one bad decision away from being right there yeah yeah you know so some dude the other day he had been hit by two cars out panhandling in the dark mm-hmm. and uh didn't and he was all crying and he was probably I think he said he was 28 God. and oh he's gosh. broke his collarbone and his arms all screwed up and you can tell and he's broke his back too so he's all oh, hunched man. back over and that's the way he will walk through the streets you know 28 years old and has some big open wound on his leg and the dude who was saying you know he said man I'll call you an ambulance and get you know you need to get looked at dude and he's no nah, no nah, man I'll be alright I'll be alright yeah like no you're not alright no. right. you're not and, gonna and be alright they're, they're fine with just right being now. that way yeah well, so walked yeah. off yeah. So I was fine yeah. with just being the way I was too yeah. and then you read the comments and it's what blew me away man people was like I went to high school with that dude man yeah. and different stuff of people knowing him before it caught up to him yeah there was one of them I was watching it was somebody's sister or brothers and stuff too you know they comment on YouTube that's my brother I haven't mm. seen him in nine years wow and can Man. you imagine that's where you see your brother on YouTube yeah well my sister she um, before she passed away my mom was like I, I think I seen Virginia that was her name uh, up here on Outer Loop 
panhandling. I drove that street. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Sorry. I drove up and down that street. I can't tell you how many times looking for her. I just wanted her to, you know, I just wanted to see her. I just needed to know that she was still alive. And then uh, right before she passed away, she had gotten um, an infection on her spine. And they had to do surgery. And she was in and out of the hospitals. She was still using. And uh, she ended up in a wheelchair. And she was back at my parents' house. And, I, you know, they're older now. And they can't, they just can't handle it. And I was like, Virginia, you've got to go get help. You can't stay here. You cannot stay here until you get sober. You've got to go get some help. We took her down to the healing place. And as soon as we walked, pulled out of the parking lot, she was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a month or two later that she was... She had OD'd, got out of the hospital, called them the day she was getting ready to leave the hospital, and was like, I'm going to, uh, I'm going into this recovery center, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she died, I think, on my mom's birthday. Either on my mom's birthday or the day before. See, that's the shit we do. Yeah. Yeah. Always the Monday. The same way as you walk in a meeting and it's a step you're on, you end up, you know, putting a huge fucking dent in somebody else's life like that you know die on on your mom's birthday yeah yeah and God, not that it makes any difference what day it is but that's like you know the opposite of icing on the cake yeah that's uh and you know the pain that we put other people the hurt and, uh, and that we put other people through man yeah yeah thank god thank god that my mom mm-hmm. was alive long enough to see me get sober yeah Thank God that I didn't, you know, that's one of the things that I just knew in my heart was going to happen was I was going to die out here in these streets and that's all my kids were going to know me as was some drug addict that died in the streets, never contributed anything to their lives. Thank God that I don't have to live like that anymore and thank God that that's not who I am. I did a Boy Scout, makes me think I did a Boy Scout, a kid asked me one day, the Scoutmaster had called me from the troop we were in which I got caught I had been fired as cub master from that troop for stealing pills from one of the kids grandmas and uh but he saw me get sober too the scout master did the, the head dude because he had to sign my paper every time I went to drop my son off at scouts mm. so I had to go ask him in order for me to do that hey man I can continue to bring Dustin to scouts but I need to get you to sign that I did mm. I gotta have that verification that this is where I'm at and so he saw me get well, and you know that thing people see it, especially somebody's healthy. Uh, and asked me if so. I come and showed up at the meeting. He said somebody wants to ask you ask you for something, and I'm like, oh, what the hell's this? You know, I almost think I'm walking into a trap. You know how we all still after yeah. some time. <laughs> Uh, and I got there, and some little boy, some young man, asked me if I would help him do a woodworking project for the scouts and his Eagle Scout project. And as we got to know each other, and he'd come over and we'd work on it, and you know he'd go, and I'm just yappy, so I talked to him, and uh, and I I knew that he lived with an aunt and uncle. And when I asked, you know, one day I was like, so what's the deal, man? What, what's that? And he said, well, both my parents died drug drug addicts and alcoholic when I was a baby. Oh, you know, when not like when he was in single digits, not mm-hmm. necessarily a baby, but young, old enough to remember them, right? But too damn young, you know. And I don't know, there was some kind of thing just flooded over me whenever he told me that of uh, 
I don't know, sometimes you wonder why you're doing what you're doing, and I didn't know, but I knew I was going to say yes. Yeah. I always likened that to like when a little when a three year old comes up with a toy telephone and says it's for you, right. you answer the phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when a, when a kid comes up and asks you to help him with his Eagle Scout project, you say yes. And uh, but you don't know why. And that 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 wave of gratitude and why what I was you know the, like I like I thought about you know God's giving me assignments and it's my job to figure out what the assignments are. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was one of those assignments, and you knew I knew exactly what I was doing right then, and why he picked me, and you know, but he didn't, you know, over time because I talk recovery, right? So I'm talking recovery right. kind of stuff when I'm sitting with him, but he never mentioned any of that until I actually asked him what's the deal, and that's uh again that's the same kind of thing as you know similar kind of thing as walking in the meetings when the step is your step, and yeah. when you right. uh, for that you know that flash of a moment. And it, it, and it happens more often than, but it doesn't happen that awful much. For a moment, you know, you got that total feeling that you're exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And there's some kind of likeness and uh, God's grace kind of thing that floods over you when, when, when I've had those opportunities. And uh, I don't know that what, what us alcoholics and addicts do to our kids and parents. Uh, made me think of that story. Yeah. 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 You know, there's nothing worse. I got a girl struggling with it now. And golly, it's hard not to have that thought that don't do that to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, we're about at the two hour mark. That's where I like to be on these things. Y'all right. got any concluding thoughts, anything you want to say to wrap a bow around things tonight? I'm sure you do. You can take a second. It definitely works, man. It just You just have to want it and have to be willing to listen and be willing to grow and learn. Yeah, just got to be open-minded to it, open-minded mm-hmm. to change and, and suggestions and try to apply them. That was, that was the biggest thing for me is being open-minded. Um to the fact that I don't know every damn thing. I had to be open-minded to you just might be right. Uh, once I grabbed all of that, man, it just kind of took off. Third step. Third step. Yeah. Let go. I'm letting go of the wheel. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, in the beginning, uh, there was no way I was doing it God's way. I was doing what my sponsor told me to do. Yeah. And you gotta be <laughs> That's willing what to, I was doing. You got to be willing to go all in. All in. You can't yeah. just half-ass it, man. You can't. There's no... I'm going to hold on to this and still try to do this. Half measures availed us nothing. Yeah. Yep. I remember um, my sperm donor used to tell me, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I had to change everything. It's the truth. To yep. be who I am today. Yeah. I'm proud of the person I am today. Oh, for sure. I'm grateful yeah. for who I am today. I love myself today. Yeah. That's something I used to never be able to say. I'm my best friend. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. What's this other one says? Uh, till we let go of our old, our old ideas completely, uh, the result was nil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Usually can quote them pretty top off, but then it's got me hung. There says it a whole bunch of times in there. You know, yeah. that's the, the, the instructions for this is in that book and in the 12 steps in this way of life is, uh, as I always say, it's a guarantee that if you uh, work these steps 
and you know really work them uh, and practice these principles in your daily life your life will get better yep. end of story nothing more it's the recipe 100%. Well, thank you all for coming over and sharing tonight. Uh, I know it's uh, navigating relationships and recovery is a huge thing for a lot of people, even no matter which side of the road it's on. And uh, I think we stand here and testify that it's possible. You know, that's everything you probably both at some point thought it wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, wondered, you know, like you saying, if he ain't getting sober later, yeah, uh, you're out of here, and uh, to have it turn out to be the story that's happened is just miraculous. Yeah. We've I've heard it so many times. Like two alcoholics will not work out together. It's just not going to work. Y'all are both going to die, or you're going to end up back out, or whatever. Um, and to be on this side of it and actually beating those odds or fighting those odds. I'm not going to say beat them, fighting those odds, beating them for now uh, is awesome. It's yeah. huge. All right. Well. I'll tie a bow around it and say the same thing I do every single time. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, you're not doing it right. And I just want to thank everybody out there for allowing Jennifer, LJ, and I to participate in our recovery in this manner today. Peace out. Peace out.